And welcome back to Bored as Hell. Today, I just want to give a disclaimer. This episode is going to be a bit more serious than previous ones. We will be discussing mental health and mental health issues as well as physical ailments. Um, so just uh, listener, be warned that we may hit some trigger warning topics for you. Uh, listener discretion is advised. And now that being aside, I want to come back to Bored as Hell. I'm Jim, of course. And today I'm joined with... Kai, as as usual. <laughs> and we're doing a twosome. And that's also because, one, this is an issue that was very close to the two of us and we wanted to do together. And number two, um, as of today's episode, I have an announcement to make. Um, officially now, Miss Kai is the official co-host of Board as Hell. Yay. And she will be getting billing. The episode, all the titles and everything will be changing to include her name as well, too. So please feel free to reach out to her on social later when she gives those out at the end. And yeah. uh, feel free to congratulate her. <laughs> I've admitted okay. to two people and, and neither of them particularly can. I was like, this is a big thing for me. Be happy. <laughs> yeah, and Kai, and Kai is the one who is the reason why you guys get podcasts again, because she's been on me about doing them, because she enjoys them even more than I do. I just love talking. So. <laughs> Okay, Kai. So now uh, to the issue at hand, um, yeah. I'll let you go ahead and give a little bit of background about you with this topic and the issues involved. Oh, God. So mental health has been a journey throughout all of my life, and it's usually a lot uh, the case for a lot of people. But the, the beginning of my journey started about eight years ago, maybe a little bit over. Um, when I started to develop a condition which I didn't know I had and was poorly misdiagnosed for many, many years. And I only went through getting a diagnosis about nearly two years ago now. And I'm still trying to get other diagnoses on top of that, just so that I can tackle every part of my condition to the best I can. Uh, what I have is called borderline personality disorder. Uh, it's also known as emotionally unstable personality disorder because apparently that makes it sound better um, but personally I just call it BPD um, I also suffer with something called body dysmorphic disorder uh, which is like a body image self-perception sort of related condition and I'm trying to go through the process of getting diagnosed with a couple of other things right now. Uh, but I don't believe in kind of being forward with things that you are diagnosed with because it could just worsen your mental state. But I'll go a bit more into what BPD is after Jim has explained his. What's wrong with him? <laughs> I shouldn't say what's <laughs> wrong with him. <laughs> Or as I refer to them as my little defects. Um, and let's face it, in New York State, you once a vehicle has been fixed three times for the same thing, it's a lemon law. Let's put it this way. I'm the entire orchard of lemons. Um, basically, in reference to mental health, I am already diagnosed with panic disorder, uh, depression with severe episodes, and as well as PTSD, as far as the mental health side of it goes. But also worsening all this is I do also have Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which is an extra bundle of nerves in the heart. I have rheumatoid arthritis, which is mildly in control right now. Um, and that is one of the more severe issues that I have because rheumatoid stretches through your entire body, not just your joints. Um, I have asthma. I have migraines. I have neuralgia. I have neuropathy. I have... Um, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, which basically means, yeah, there's something wrong with your guts, but we can't figure out exactly what it is. So we just call it this. Um, gastroparesis due to diabetic, uh, diabetes, um, diverticulosis, uh, and just trying to think if I missed any, as well as sleep apnea. Those are the big ones. I probably have missed a couple, but that's now neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, the biggest things I have is, uh, along with my depression and everything, is I do get bouts of, 
I guess the best term would be paranoia with it. What I have just because of the fact that I go through periods and you can ask Kai or anybody who is close to me that I go through really severe bouts where I think that I'm annoying everybody and I'm a pain in the ass and I'm fugly and everything else. And those are all linked directly to my issues. I literally had Kai and two other uh, of my friends, shout out to Jackie and Alex, literally yelling at me the other day in chat that I was being stupid and that I'm not what my brain was telling me. So is very similar to uh, body dysmorphia. Yeah. I I don't like the phrasing of it. It's always very different depending on how you're using it. But uh, it's very common. I do have the statistic written down here. Give me a second. You can tell this is a special episode because Kai's done research. Yes, I have. I, I, <laughs> We're not just talking out of our asses like usual. Uh, so a bit of background for nobody, for everybody that doesn't know me all too well. Uh, I have a great passion for trying to understand mental health and psychology and lots of other topics. Um, but I want to go on to be a counsellor, so I do a lot of research in my own time. So BDD suffers up to 2.4% of the population per year. So, uh, that's quite a high percent. I when I first started researching it, I was told that it was about one percent of the population suffers with BDD, but it's actually a lot higher than I originally thought, and it's very underdiagnosed because it's such a taboo thing because it's about body image and it's about how you perceive yourself and it's about not being able to look in the mirror. But then some people get obsessive with looking in mirrors because of BDD. So it can be either understood as narcissism or can be confused for eating disorder in some cases. It's it's a very hard uh, condition to come out and say, here's what's wrong with me. Uh, can I have help? Well, with all mental uh, disorders too, that tends to be a big uh, hurdle. Everybody thinks that they can't be helped and nobody will understand. Yeah, and I'm kind of unlucky in having two very misunderstood conditions all in one go. So uh, let me give you a little bit of background about BPD for people that don't know me and for Jim, because Jim might not know everything. I, I have told him a fair bit. Me so, not knowing something, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so a personality disorder isn't just what you think it is. It isn't just sort of like one one thing. Uh, so there are 10 different types of personality disorder, which are categorized into three types of emotional sort of symptoms that they show off. There's suspicious, uh, which contains uh, the most common known uh, personality disorder, which is called antisocial personality disorder, which you will know as a psychopath. Um, that there is emotional and impulsive, which I come under as as being BPD, um, and then there's also anxious, uh, which there's a type of OCD personality disorder that comes under that. But uh, BPD uh, affects a lot less than uh, BDD. It affects one point six, uh, but it's got an insanely high. Uh, suicide rate so it's around 70% of people that suffer with BPD that have been diagnosed uh, have had some uh, form of suicidal thought or have tried to take their own life at some point 10% that suffer with it do commit suicide successfully and do uh, and do leave that that part of their life uh, because of the condition uh Though it is less common in older people, uh, it's nobody really knows what triggers it. Five percent, uh, no, ignore five percent. <laughs> um, so if someone in your family has BPD, you're five times more likely genetically to to get have it passed down. Um, which is an insane rate, which I didn't know about until really recently when. Uh, I found out about there being a possibility of someone in my family, very immediate family, having been referred to 
a uh, personality disorder unit that I'm currently uh, using myself. Um, so I'm kind of going through the motions of having to learn if my BPD is genetically passed down. Uh, but it's also trauma, social factors, the brain, uh, environmental factors that can trigger BPD. Uh, for me, uh, though it's most likely genetic, uh, it was passed down through uh, uh, sexual abuse mainly um, and trauma from uh, some very nasty encounters with men in my early teenage years, which I try not to be ashamed about. I always try to be open about because there are people that hold it in and their trauma is so much more painful and they struggle to get through it so much more because they hold it in and they, they use it against themselves. And though I still, to an extent, use it against myself, I, I'm a lot more open with when I'm going through pain as a result so I can get help better. But yeah, yeah, BPD is a very complex conversation. It's very openly discriminated against in this uh, in psychiatry. A lot of I've had to recently go through the issue of getting the diagnosis to then be completely blacklisted from getting any one-on-one counselling. I basically my only options right now are move to somewhere where. Uh, there will be a counsellor that is more inclined to treat someone with BPD or to go private. That's if my current therapy situation doesn't work. But what I'm doing right now is a two hour a week counselling, which in a year's time, if I'm still progressing with that, will go on to a, a sort of very complex scenario where I do three days, three full days a week at a special unit that teaches me sort of life skills and how to cope with BPD and be a functioning person, if that makes any sense. (laughs) It's all very complex. It's all very hard to understand. There's a lot of discrimination. There is a lot of misinformation. Uh, my favourite misinformation that I found recently, which Jim knows about, is uh, someone very famous called Jordan Peterson, someone that an ex of mine absolutely adored. He uh, was told uh, in like the question section at the end of a talk of his, oh, what do you think about BPD? Because uh, someone tried to bring up the question to you before and you avoided it. And then he goes on to say that BPD is like a female's version of ASPD, which is a very scary link to make. It's a very dangerous link to make. And anyone with BPD is going to rightfully be concerned when they hear that information. But you you pick up lots of it. There's, there's a movie that any person with BPD, if you mention that movie, they know about it and they know how dangerous it it is about the misconception of the condition but that's just a little bit that's like I tried to write down what BPD was in every concept of how to describe it and Mm. I got to three pages in and there was still so much more I wanted to write so it's kind of hard to conceptualize any mental health condition in a way that you can just be like here's what it is Here's what it's like living with it. It's it's not it's never that simple. <laughs> yeah, it's more of here's what it's like for me and my particular case of it. Yeah, and and I think that's the case <clears throat> with any mental health condition is is we're saying if what we should do to fix mental health is to talk, but then we get annoyed when oh this person has anxiety, but I spoke to someone else that has anxiety and they didn't feel like this. They didn't feel like that. So that person must not have anxiety. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to have these conversations because with every conversation you have, it's going to be very different because so many conditions are very complex and like, yep. you can look at two yeah. different conditions that are supposed to be similar 
yeah, they're so different, and you wonder what's what's going on here. Like, this is well. The 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 funny part about all this too is that one of my conditions, which is the depression along with the IBS, people didn't ever think that the brain and the gut were that linked together. But now they're starting to determine that most people with IBS have severe depression and vice versa, that they can start developing GI issues with severe depression because your brain does control everything, including your uh, ability to um, function digestively and everything else. And that's when mine gets really bad is when I'm depressed or stressed um, as Kai can tell you, almost every time I'm super stressed, I end up in the emergency room because they have to calm me down with all of it, the medications as far as the IBS stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't think people truly quite have the grasp of how intense it, the effect is of when you have a lot of physical issues, when you have a lot of pain, how, much, mm-hmm. how quickly that can affect your mental health. I think that we get the pain side of it, but we don't fully understand that, yeah, of course that's going to make you feel shit. Yeah. Of course, if it's for an extended period of time, it's going to start to feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. And we need to start having a lot more empathy with how we appro- approach mental health. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. There's so many things that we need to do to change ha- the mess that we have created with yeah. how we treat people that are mentally ill. Yeah. And just to give you guys an idea too, it doesn't, having these issues doesn't preclude other parts of your personality. Like Kai and I tend to be very empathetic people in general. If somebody's hurting, it actually physically bothers us. Yeah. And we can get a huge reaction. Like just for an example, and Kai, I hope you don't mind me using this. Yeah. Um, A couple of months ago, I was admitted to the hospital because my, I, I have a suppressed immune system due to the rheumatoid. I'm on severe drugs for it. And I got an infection from where they looked, removed a uh, implant heart device under my skin. And um, it became infected over a month after it was done because I'm also diabetic. So I slowly, I'm heal, uh, healing very slow comparatively to normal people. Um, well, non-diabetics, I should say. And the whole time I was in the hospital, Kai was a wreck. And she didn't tell me until she, I was out. But she told me that she was stressed and... It was just getting to her with me being in there, especially because I was on the bird, uh, literally on the doorstep of sepsis when I went in. Yeah, and I think that there's so many factors behind it. And it got to a point where I was like, to my boss, is like, look, like, things aren't looking too brilliant right now. I need to be checking my phone. I know that it's against policy, but it's just that this matters to me because this is family. Mm-hmm. And... And yeah, I just like everything could be going wrong at the time, and yeah. I was just like, I can't have this as well, and just burst into tears. And yeah, that was a particularly tough time for the pair of us, I think. Oh yeah. Although you didn't tell me about it till after I was out and home. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to stress you out because I knew that adding more information on top of it was just like you just needed. A support network because that is what matters most when you're going for a moment of crisis whether it's physical health or mental health is you just need the other information taken off of your shoulders and it just be about you focusing on what is going to get you to a stable or better place yeah and one thing that's n- not unique among the two of us but we both share is that if we're having a problem and somebody else has a problem, we immediately want to go help them with theirs instead of dealing with our problem. Yeah. Yep, definitely. We both tend to be the healer types. Yeah, I'm, I'm very naturally prone to that. And for a while, it actually became quite a bad habit because you do have to have a healthy balance. Like, I lost a lot of friends because I became too much of a carer and... All I cared about was taking care of them, but then I wasn't helping myself, so I would just push all of my problems onto them in in ways that they weren't helping me. It was just me saying, here's what's wrong with me, but let me help you. And that's a very unhealthy way to handle your mm-hmm. mental health, is just laying out the information 
you need to say it at times when there's going to be use and when it's going to be beneficial for you to say. Because that's the thing with BPD is a lot of the times your emotions usually snowball. So, especially with negative emotions. So, if I'm going through a bad patch of my mental health and I have like a really intense support network that want to know everything that's going on and they want to know the emotions and they want to know what I'm thinking and I'm feeling, there's a big tendency for me to open up a little bit in a way that was beneficial then, but then I can't stop opening up and then it spirals out of control to the point where I'm feeling negative because I'm always telling people, oh, this negative thing happened or I felt this a week ago and there's no time for me to feel the good things and to make the progress and to feel better. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why you and I get along so well because we're both that tend to be that type and we both tend to overshare at times. But we do so in a way that is beneficial for us and to a point where we kind of know our limits. We know that like, we can tell if something is too much. I believe, anyways. <laughs> I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. Well, I always go into, the, into my brain with everything, too, along with my other issues. That I'm just being a bother and I'm annoying a lot of times. And sometimes it's just because I am an overshare and I've said something that they don't know how to react to. So they're just quiet and then I get in my head about it. And it's yeah. not that they don't care, that they're upset by it or anything. They just don't know what to say because they're afraid it's going to be gone, gone, go the wrong way. Yeah. Because a lot of people get triggered pretty easily. But I'm, you can ask Kai that I tend, other than a very few select topics, I usually can handle pretty much anything. And if I have an issue with something, I will say it. Yeah, definitely. And I have to admit, I do share that with you. I've never really opened up much about it, but I do share that trait in in that kind of spiraling like I'm the burden I'm mm-hmm. the annoyance in this person's life or or I've said something that they don't know how to respond to and now I feel bad because they clearly feel uncomfortable I've gone through a lot of that myself and it's because BPD makes you quite needy at times uh it's one of the common words you get called uh without really intending to do it. It's that and attention seeker, which I hate Mm. that word. I hate that phrase. I hate that term. I hate everything about it, but it's not related. Um, It kind of just makes you crave wanting the people you care about to know things that you don't quite know how to put in a way that they will understand and they will be able to empathise with. And when you're so empathetic yourself to sort of like slightly over of other people's typical empathy, you expect everyone to have the same emotional reaction and understanding of how to deal with that situation. And it, it's, it's quite hard and it's quite disheartening at times. So I completely, I completely empathize with the situation you're in. I think that's why... I never try and take it to heart on the days that I feel like, oh, I just wish he would see the good side of it. Because mm-hmm. I completely get it because I've been in the exact same position. Oh, yeah. My mind is frequently in a septic tank of emotions. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's about learning how, to some extent, at times, that's everyone. But it's just about learning when it's too much, being able to say it's too much, which is a very hard mm-hmm. thing to do. It's, it's never easy, and it's easier to say it than to ever put it into action. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, I can it, give great advice. I just can't follow my own. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's what's hard with BPD is because it makes you very self-reflective. A lot of the people in my therapy are all very similar thinkers to me. They all completely understand their condition and mm. the downfalls of them with BPD. But it's the putting it into action. It, it's the actively trying to change it and to be the bigger person, to be the better person, mm-hmm. to be the person without BPD. 
As is the cliche, it's always easier said than done. <laughs> oh, definitely. And, like, I will sit in therapy some days and I'll be like, I realise that this is a problem, but I have no clue how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah, and as opposed to the treatment that Kai goes through, I've been off and on therapy for, for almost 17 years now, 16 and a half years. And um, basically what I do is I have one-on-one sessions. I go for an hour um, when I go, although most of them are now phone-based. When I go to the actual office, though, it's an hour twice a week. So, but uh, just doing the one-on-one works better for me because I don't want to, in those cases, overshare everything as it would normally happen to a group of people because... I don't know, with my own mentality, I don't know if they're going to end up throwing it in my face or something like that. So in my case, it's better for me mentally and physically to just go for one-on-one sessions. And I've been fortunate that my insurance covers it because, of course, being in the good old US of A, insurance dictates your treatment, not the doctors. Yeah. Um, See, I wish I could be in one-on-one therapy. I. I love my group therapy. I think it is beneficial to me. But it's that I went into my journey of getting professional help as someone with BPD saying, right, this is the type of therapy I want. I want long term. I want Mm -hmm. someone that I can trust. If I don't trust that person, I will happily change therapist because I, I believe that your therapist should be like your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not one size fits all. There's going to be personality difference. There's going to be traits about that person that you might not like. And if you don't like that trait about that person, change therapist. Because that person has your mental well-being in their hands. That is so important. So you should value who has your mental well-being in their hands. Yeah, you don't don't go to a car dealership and buy the very first car at the very first dealer you've seen. You've got to shop around for the dealer and the car that's right. Same with your mental health, if not more so. People yeah, don't realize but, that you can shop around. Yeah, and, and that's the sad thing with BPD, living where I am, is that I am stuck in a system of one-size-fits-all. That I am told, here is your group therapy, we know you told us that you want this, that, the other, but we are just giving you this. There's no, there's no other stuff that's going to come. And if you choose to walk away from this, sure, you can do that, but there won't be any other resources for you. And that's really disheartening because it puts a lot of pressure on that therapy working. and It puts a lot of pressure yeah. on me making the most of it. And, it. and there's a lot of emotions that I am still working through and I have been working mm-hmm. through for a couple of months now of yeah. anger and resentment and and just constant questioning the system, constantly questioning myself and mm-hmm. like pushing it on me. Is it is it a me thing? Is this my fault? Or is this the system's fault? Or is this the therapy I'm with? Is it the diagnosis? Is it my mental health that is to blame? And and you know, you have to go through all of these questions before you find what's right for you. And I will never tell anyone to not go to group therapy. I do think it is so helpful. But I'm saying Any therapy is better than no therapy. Yeah, two-pronged approach is good. Have more than one way that you are fighting it because you should never put all of your eggs in one basket. That is what the worst of my BPD taught me, was that I was putting all of my eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. And that I was just being a a victim to my own condition and letting it rule my life. And then I chose <coughs> actively to to change that and to say, right, for six months I'm gonna take all of the possible medications I can and see which ones work. And I won't give up on them even if I feel they're not working until that time period is up. I will go to all the therapies I can and mm-hmm. I will stick to it. And <clears throat> I'd done that. I got to the end of the six-month period. I gave up my medications because they weren't working. I tried them out, and it was making me worse mentally. 
And that's another thing with BPD is it's it can be medicated to ease symptoms. So if you're particularly anxious or if you're particularly paranoid, if you're a particularly depressed person with BPD, they can give you a medication that can help with those symptoms. But there is nothing that will cure or help BPD. And in most cases, medication doesn't help BPD at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is why most people with BPD get told they are bipolar, because bipolar you can medicate. So doctors Mm -hmm. will say, I'd rather give them the condition that they can medicate than they can't. That's because it's easier to write a prescription than to give the proper therapy and everything else. I was looking at statistics uh, for a very special project that we will be talking about at the end of the podcast. And I found a statistic that in 2009, uh, GPs uh, were diagnosing, misdiagnosing depression at about 47%. So nearly half of GPs couldn't even correctly diagnose depression in a person. And that's scary that we are so terrified of the misconceptions of mental health and terrified of mental health itself that it seeped and ingrained itself that much into our society that even medical professionals are are a bit touched by by the misinformation. Yeah, see, I was uh, lucky with my stuff because I've had, up until two years ago now, I had the same primary doctor, so to speak, even though he was a physician's assistant um, from the age of 12 until two years ago. So for over 20 years, I had the same primary. Uh, Basically, he was my first doctor or medical professional, I'll say, out of pediatrics. And I was with him the entire time. And when I started talking to him about it, because I had that relationship, which I was lucky with, um, we were discussing everything and he said, well, it sounds like these things, but I'm not a shrink. And he goes, but I do have the right person for you to go ch- chat with. And I started going to this, uh, shrink and my doctor was so good. It wasn't even in his same practice or anything else. Any of the Americans out there know what I'm talking about, that they always try to push in their practice, but he knew somebody that was better for what I have going on and directed me to go there, which is 20 minutes, the other direction from my house from where he was, but it was one of the best things ever because he didn't want to make the official diagnoses. So he just put in the note to that other doctor that he referred me to, this is what he was thinking, but he wanted me to come for proper diagnosis. And that's where I got put on the correct treatment plan because I had a GP who knew enough to know that something was up, but knew enough that he wasn't the best one to make that call. Yeah. And that's Um, uncommon. Yeah, that is what we need in the system now. Those are the sort of people that we need to encourage and to to shine a light on. Say, this is what we need in the system. This is what it needs to become for everyone. Mm. Yep. (coughs) And luckily, I'm in the northeast of the U.S. because I am in New York, about an hour north of the city. And the benefit of being in this part of the country is, A, I'm right near New York City, which is, let's face it, is one of the best medical cities in the world. And number two, we also get a lot of the doctors that are trained in the city or trained in this region and know the, the common issues, as well as the fact that because they're all trained in this region, they're getting the best of the best is when it comes to medical care. And a lot of them now are being trained. You don't treat the symptom, you treat the condition, as opposed to the other way around they've always been, where they're just trying to throw pills at it and get it to resolve it so it's enough that they can pass you on. But now a lot of the doctors here are to the point where they're going to find you the treatment plan that's going to correct this as long-term as they can. And if they're not the best ones, now they're getting much better at referring you to the correct people for that specialty. Like I was saying, I was referred to a shrink that was not in the practice. My rheumatologist was in a different practice too, and I was referred to her. And I love her so much that I referred to my mother to her. Um but I've just been lucky that we have a high quality of doctor in this region and they're all getting the newer trainings about it all. But, um, but yeah, the best thing is you can do is get a good relationship with a GP or another person who's really good with like a social worker that knows the mental health professionals and knows who does, but what the best and use their, their advice. 
especially if they're in your local area, because a social worker or whatnot tends to deal with the psychiatric community more than a GP does. And they're going to have a better grasp on who does what and who's better with what type of patients. Yeah, definitely asking around, seeing what your options are, seeing sort of where strong opinions, whether negative or positive, are, is so important. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a very bad experience when I was around 15 or 16 with a specific NHS mental health service that mm-hmm. treated me very poorly and they let me down very severely. And it it would have been a much different decision that I made going there if if I had have known how bad the system was. Because now, as someone that has been through the system and has been damaged by it, I speak to so many people that say they have had the exact same experience. Mm-hmm. And it's worrying. Um, and... Just for the Americans, it's not just an issue of them having nationalized health care. It's a matter of just doctors that aren't in touch or don't have the right grasp on that particular patient. I'm not saying they're always like that, but there's some that fall through the cracks. And I met Kai when she, before she was back in counseling. And I remember when she was starting and she was so terrified because of the previous experiences. Yeah, because uh, BPD gives you a lot of issues. Or maybe it's just me, but... I I certainly struggle with it because I had a particularly bad experience with the doctor around the time of, of 15 or 16. That was when a lot of the worst bits happened for my mental health of my traumas. And uh, I had been quite badly self-harming. I, I was quite suicidal at the time. I had attempted suicide. And then within sort of 24 hours of the attempt, I went to a GP. I spoke about it and I was given some antidepressants without being told to read the packaging, without being explained the medication or what it was supposed to do. Mm. I was just told how much to take, what it was called. Then I was given a number of the GPs if I felt suicidal again. And I was left on my own. As yeah, and as the, as the antithesis of that, when I was originally put on meds, um, the first med I was ever put on was by my GP, was uh, Cymbalta, while I was going waiting to see the, uh, the shrink. And then when I went to the shrink, um, I had had an issue where I ended up going to the ER because I was having a lot of other issues and stuff too, and the panic attacks. And they put me on Xanax. I immediately went to the shrink, and he looked at my medical history, and he goes... Uh, who put you on the Xanax? I said, the ER. He goes, okay, well, you're off of that immediately. He said, I want you to get rid of the rest of it. He goes, there's, an, um, there's a possibility of a remote fatal interaction with your other meds. He goes, so we're going to get you off of that immediately, but just so you don't uh, have an SSRI crash, which is extremely dangerous. That's why you don't ever just jump off your meds. You have to taper with the doctor. But um, they ended up putting me on Clonopin, and I was on that for quite a while. I have been doing much better recently compared to the way I used to be. And um, I'm not on any commercial antidepressants anymore. Um, and I know it's going to sound like I'm trying to sell it to everybody, but you can ask Kai. I've been on medical marijuana now for, uh, what's it been, almost four months now. And as far as my pain and everything else, I tend to have a lot less than I did before. Um I do get sometimes really baked off of it. That's just a side effect. Um, But I also make sure that when I do it, I'm going to be home. I'm not going anywhere because I'm not taking anybody else's life into my hands either with that. But medical marijuana has helped with the depression. It's helped with the pain because of, uh, and because of the pain, it's helping with the depression. Um, And it's helping somewhat get my sleep schedule back in a little bit better order than it used to be because I used to go four days without sleeping frequently. And I'd always get yelled at by Kai and several others about it too. But I'm starting to get better. I've actually, the longest I've gone without sleep recently, I think was 40 hours. And that was one time in the past two months. 
Yeah, it's, so, it's see your progress, and if you find something that works, use it because yeah. it's so important. Yeah, and MMJ is not right for everybody. I'm just a very good case for it, and I'm just a very good adaption to it. And we didn't know because when I was in teenage years, even though you can find weed anywhere in America, I didn't smoke because I was in the fire department. I had a lot of other issues I was doing, going through at the time and other stuff that I couldn't do any of that stuff with, um, especially being in the fire department. In my state, the law is if you get caught with any of those substances in your system, it's an immediate five-year prison sentence with no parole. Um, so I never did it. Then I tried it when I was 32, and it started to help a little bit with the pain when nothing else was with the guts. Um, it literally got to the point where the doctors gave up on my gut so much that I had one just tell me that whenever it happens, just take a few shots of vodka because it'll calm it down because it paralyzes it with the alcohol. So, but then I went to my GP and my newer GP and I've talked to my rheumatologist and everybody else and they encouraged me to do it. So I do what I am talking about it. I do it the right way. I have the New York state card. I go to a New York state licensed dispensary. I pay them their fortune and I get the stuff properly. And I vape. I don't use flour because that's all that's legal other than capsules or oils here. And it does help a lot with everything I've been experiencing. But it's also something you have to be able to self-regulate because they just give you the dose for the month and tell you, here you go. And you have to make sure that you're not just getting baked the entire time so that you can't comprehend anything. But overall, it does help quite a bit. I, I, especially the CBD because the CBD helps with the inflammation, pain. It also helps with brain inflammation and people don't realize that in severe depressive attacks or other severe psychological effects, you can actually start to have swelling of your brain because of everything it's dealing with. Because it, it is just a bundle of nerves in there and nerves will actually heat up just like a wire will if they're overrunning. And it can cause swelling and everything else in your brain. The CBD helps to relieve some of that. And there's actually early trials now going on where they're actually trying CBD and depression just to see if that's the more effective part than the THC. That would be an interesting find when they release that information of their studies. Yeah, especially because you're in one of the old, almost old school uh, fire and brimstone type cannabis countries. You guys can have weed seeds as a souvenir, but the minute you put it in the ground, you're committing a crime. <laughs> So, but I do know that even the UK now is starting to soften up as far as medical cannabis and CBD, yeah. as is a lot of the other ones like Australia and a lot of the other European countries to the point where now the UN's even looking at removing the international ban on it so that the countries can legalize. Um, and I used to be very much the, oh, if you're a piehead, you're still a druggie and blah, blah, blah. And I've completely done a 180 on it after doing all my research and then becoming a patient. Um, but it, does, it doesn't always help everything because also the thing that people don't realize is that marijuana has different strains um, and different strengths. As far as pain and stuff, I'm on the highest strength that they have in New York, which is uh, 400 milligrams per half milliliter cartridge. All the um, Europeans and Canadians just got an erection because I'm using metric. Um, <laughs> but with the uh, medical cannabis... Sativa, which I have both sativa and indica, and there's also hybrid. Sativa is an upper. Sativa makes it so that you have a little more energy. It doesn't make you completely baked unless you overdo it. Um, it tends to increase your pulse rate and heart rate a little bit too. I mean, and uh, blood pressure a little bit too. And it's a good daytime type one, and it helps control the pain, and it'll help a little bit with the mental side. Indica, which is the other one I use, um, is a depressant one. It does calm you down. It does put, make you tired. It does get you really stoned. Um, but it also has the ability to help to let your brain start to wind down because of the fact that it attacks the CBD receptors and uh, THC receptors in your cannabinoid system in your body so aggressively. It's essentially, for anybody who argues ever, and it's kind of appropriate that I'm talking about this at 4.20 p.m., um, <laughs> the... The thing people don't realize is that just like with opiates where you have an opiate receptor system and if you use Xanax or Oxy or whatever else, you're getting a high that's designed to attack that, to link to that particular system. Humans also have an even more robust cannabinoid system, which accepts the CBD as well as the THC and brings it into your nervous system and bloodstream. Um, 
but you literally have a, a system in your body that's developed to be able to use cannabis. Um, and just in case people are seeing like the little bottles of CBD oil and whatnot, and they think, oh, I'll give it a try. They can be effective, but usually if you see it in like a convenience store or a non-medical setting, it's hemp-based, um, which is legal in almost every country because hemp has almost no THC, so you can't get high off of it. You'd literally have to smoke a field of hemp to be able to get a THC high like you would off of one bud of cannabis. Um, cannabis tends to be a little more potent, but what I would tell people is if you want to try the CBD to get that and see how it affects you first. And then if you have a country that has a legal means of getting it, then go the other route. So I'm not going to go into the full like weed hour here, but like I was saying, <laughs> for me, it helps. Everybody should try whatever options you have available to you. But my suggestion, especially when you're trying something like cannabis or you're on a uh, new antidepressant or anything like that, do the best you can to make sure that people that can get to you are aware because you don't know what reaction you could have. I mean, there are some people that are allergic to cannabis and if they try to vape it or smoke it or swallow it or anything, they get the same reaction as I get if I eat fish where it closes up your throat and everything. Antidepressants could have the same thing. That's why whenever I tell somebody uh, who I hear is starting a new treatment, make sure that there's somebody around. I mean it because you don't know what you could have happen to you. I had a freaking steroid three months ago that I started getting anaphylaxis from. Yeah, and it's so. not also just like, say, an allergic reaction, a physical mm -hmm. reaction from it. It's also the the psychological effects it has on you. So when I started yep. uh, my medication called Sertraline, uh, which I tried twice, and I had some success, but then a lot of failures, and... They said in the first week, have someone monitor your moods because sometimes you could become too elevated, but you could also go through serious low spells. And if you are having any moods that seem too erratically sort of charged or are too different from your normal emotion sort of patterns, then you might need to consider coming off. And any medication that's a risk with any new thing you are trying you you want to just say to someone look i'm, I'm trying this to see if it'll help my mental health just keep an eye out just tell me if you notice any changes and you, it's not even just to say oh there's this bad thing that i've noticed it could be someone genuinely saying i've noticed a positive change in you and i've noticed a subtle way it's affecting your moods or the way it's helping how you look at things and mm -hmm. that's good and, and encouraging somebody when they when you notice that um yeah. is amazing because also then they feel better about the medication if you've actually noticed a thing especially if you think that they're on something and they haven't told you you just tell them that if you've noticed they've had an improvement just let them know that just say i don't know what's going on but you've been really great with this banner at this point but um yeah. on just so the americans good. know just so the americans know and the canadians because they get our uh, overflow of information um certainly is zoloft in america okay i didn't know that <laughs> yeah and one thing i want to say too um one thing that a lot of people don't discuss as much and in this particular instance this of a side effect i i'm a little more uh, equipped physically to handle this uh, topic. There is a chance that if somebody starts a new SSRI, which um, basically SSRIs are um, serotonin levelers, so to speak, in your brain, because serotonin is the biggest chemical that causes depression. Yeah. Um, but when you take any type of SSRI, because it's all mental, mentally affecting you primarily, Guys can also experience a lot of side effects. I mean, everybody can get diarrhea, things like that, but women don't have erectile dysfunction. And that is something that can happen to guys. And that's one thing I want to make sure that I point out. If you're having those issues, tell your doctor. Even if they can't change you to another medication, obviously there's other options to help you get over that issue until your body levels out. And just because you start getting it at the beginning... After 90 days, your body usually is used to any medication you're doing. 
after 90 days, everything might return back to normal once you've adjusted to the SSRI. So just make sure. And even with, if you're not a guy and you're not getting erectile dysfunction, or as I call it, limp dick, um, <laughs> if you're not getting that, if you have any other symptoms that don't seem normal, call your doctor. You're paying them for a reason. Make sure they're aware of what's going on. Even though it's not mental health related, whenever I get sick or I get an infection or anything, I have to call my rheumatologist and let her know because I'm immunosuppressed and I could take my life if I'm not careful. Well, same thing with a mental health issue. If you're having a problem and you're not talking to them, especially if you're getting suicidal thoughts more than you've ever have before, things like that, you're more likely to act on it if it keeps going through your head. So your best thing is to talk to somebody, especially the person that's controlling your meds because they might have to make a minor adjustment to tweak you. Sometimes you'll have to go up. Sometimes you'll come down. It depends on how you're doing with everything. And people need to think about mental health is not, um, oh, just take this pill. You'll be fine. You are literally battling everything every day going through your head. The medication helps, but you still will have those stray thoughts that you have to correct mm. yourself on. Yeah, not only that, but in some cases, medication doesn't help, like with me. Or you might think, I don't want to take medication. I went for a period of time because of my bad experiences where I decided that I wouldn't take any medication. And that no no mental health-related medication was going to help, mm -hmm. so I decided not to. And yep. for a while, I I kind of was okay with that. But then... I thought, you know, I've got to put effort into seeing what options there are. And now I know mm -hmm. that there aren't options that my doctors are going to offer me that, that works for me, and that's okay. It's then going, right, what other aspects are there to take? Mm -hmm. And the biggest one is communication. Keep communicating yep. with the people around you, the people you care about, and, and keep opening up those narratives about mental health. It's okay to be open about when you're not okay yep. yep if you don't talk to people about it they'll never learn if they don't learn they're never going to change their opinion a best the educated person is the one who's best able to adapt and learn about something and then also come to accept it or sympathize yeah definitely and like for example recently i've been really ill so that's why I'm sounding very broken right now. I'm sounding like I'm going through puberty. <laughs> um, but I actively wasn't really telling that many people about it. I was telling sort of immediate people that were talking to me if they sort of like asked in question. But then I went through a period of actually like opening up to a family member and saying, mm -hmm. here's what I'm going through. I feel like absolute crap. And you realise, hang on a second, I feel like I've actually been this in even though i've been telling people i haven't really been sitting down with those that, that mean a lot to me going hey here's what it feels like here's, mm -hmm. here's how it is here's how it feels and it's the same case with my mental health there's still a lot of conversations i need to have about my mental health there there's a very specific set of trauma that i haven't told my family about and I'm in a place where I want to tell my family. I have been told by people that I shouldn't tell them and there's, there's no point in telling them, but it's about what will heal me, what will help me. Mm -hmm. And in my lowest moments, all I want is for my family to know so that I can talk to my family and I can say, mm -hmm. here's what happened to me. And I'm sorry that I didn't tell you when it happened but I didn't mm -hmm. even really realize what it was until recently. Yeah. And, and to talk about it and to discuss and to, to show the And this pain. was a defining moment, so this is why I might behave in this manner. Yeah, and it, it is probably one of the more crucial moments behind why I have BPD. Mm -hmm. One of two things. And the other thing I have told my family about, to some extent, I haven't told uh, my, my half-brother, my brother, Whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. If he sees this, it'll probably be a bit upset. I called him my half brother. But, um. Well, it's still, just I, let him re remind him the fact that it's still better than just being an internet brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, 
Um, but, but as Kai is going along, the, the most important thing, too, is to make sure that you have your support system on point. Yes. I, have a, I happen to have a really good relationship with my mother, and she knows pretty much everything that's going on, especially because she's my healthcare proxy. But I also have, and when I joke about the fact that Kai, Jackie, and Alex were yelling at me, quote unquote, they actually don't yell at me unless I'm being really stupid. But yeah. usually it's more of a, an aggressive coaxing into doing what I know I should be doing. Or yeah, looking at it from why, where my brain's not only, letting me. There's only been two occasions where I've been genuinely mad. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you've ever even known how... Yeah, you've told me. Yeah, and I've told you about one of them. I haven't told you about the other one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that it's about learning when to talk to people. And, and it's also about how much you're comfortable with telling people. Like, if you feel that, say, oh, for example, they're, I'm depressed, but I know that my mum won't get it because of, say, religious reasons, then it's okay to not tell her specific bits if you don't feel she'll understand. But just tell her bits so she has an awareness. Like, it's okay to distribute the information of, of your life and your trauma and your baggage, per se. Mm. It's it's not that you have to give someone a biography of your life and they know every page. You can just give them the bits that you know that they will be a useful tool yep. to help you in your moments of crisis. Yeah, and you can sculpt your support system so that I can talk about this to this person because I understand that, but this person understands this better, so I talk to them about this issue. And go yeah. between. You, you don't have to give everybody everything if you don't feel comfortable. Yeah, or you also, don't think that they're going to de- uh, uh, react properly. It's distributing the weight as well. So you're not putting the stress on, on one person all at once. You're, you're giving some people some bits of information. So if you constantly go to one person, they won't get completely burnt out by having to deal with a crisis. So it won't affect those relationships. As severely because you're not putting too much pressure on them and that's another thing is, is you do have to have an awareness of that of, mm-hmm. of saying too much and of putting too much pressure on people because though it's good yeah. to have the support you don't want to kill off that support by giving them too much information to work with all in one go yeah okay well at this point We've gone for about an hour now, so we're going to start wrapping up at this point. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. It's something that we just wanted to try, and it's both very important to very, both of us. So yeah. if you enjoyed this format, um, number one, let us know. We will give you your social information in just a moment. Um, but there's also a little bit of an announcement that Kai has about an upcoming thing she's working on. Yeah, so I've been working on the idea for, for a while because I've always been into mental health. I've always been into psychology. I've always been trying to understand how the mind works and how mental health works and sort of how it functions in modern day society and and what we can do to talk about it. So I've been working on a podcast and I've been putting in research and it actually all started with talking to a guy on a dating app and then it Mm -hmm. bubbled into this random little idea of a podcast that I've been working on for a couple of months now. It mm-hmm. probably won't see the light of day for maybe anywhere up to a year now, but but it will be there at some point. Yeah, and also along the same points, when it's all ready and whatnot, Kai will give out the links and everything properly. Yeah. Um, right now, she's still working on even like basic uh, things of it as far as like titles and such like that. So, but it is something that I, we just wanted to let you guys know that this will be handled more often on that. Um, I'm not saying we won't come back to this topic on board as hell at some point, but it's not going to be a weekly topic. We're going to stick to our normal uh, tomfoolery and idiocy in our discussions. Yeah, and not only that, and, but and, and me constantly making fun of Kai about the way she pronounces things. Very funny. But I was just about to say that not only that, but it will be a very different format. But mm-hmm. it's it's there as a resource, as a way to learn, as a way to understand new things. Because I don't want it to be, let's sit down and talk about the topics that have been mulled over so many times. I want to 
covers so many different aspects of mental health and what things interact with it and what perceptions there are. And Plus, not to mention, who wouldn't love to hear this voice for longer? <laughs> not in this state. I, I don't think I could even listen to my voice in this state for too long. <laughs> well, we'll find out from the total listens on this uh, episode. <laughs> but anyway, as always, Kai, for social media, where can they find you? Kai M. Stokes on Instagram. And that's pretty much it. I don't really use much else, unfortunately. Okay, and as always, my Twitter is maladies of me, M-A-L-A-D-E-S-O-F-M-E-E. Once again, M-A-L-A-D-E-S-O-F-M-E-E. Um, and it's pretty much that on everything. Um, and feel free to reach out on Twitter and let me know what you think. Or if there's something you'd like us to discuss. Or if you just want us to go back to our usual idiocy. Um, feel free to do that. Although I don't think another alcohol episode is coming anytime soon. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, once again, I want to thank Kai, our lovely new co-host, officially. Um, so feel free to also congratulate her, too. Um, and it's even better if you just make it like a random congrats or something without any other context whatsoever. Because yeah, it will just, confuse just... her and then it will amuse me. Just one word message. Congrats. Confuse the fuck out of me. It'll be brilliant. Because <laughs> then I'll get to get the yelling of, uh, I just keep getting congrats with no other messages. <laughs> Plus, if you guys go look at Akai on her Instagram, she is pretty easy on the eyes, too. I know she's going to murder me for saying that, but whatever. For God's sake. <laughs> okay. Once again, I want to thank you all for coming to Port as Hell. I hope you have a great rest of your day. <laughs>